Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, it's Manveen here. Today's episode is about a scandal in British cycling that my colleague at The Times, the chief sports correspondent Matt Lawton, helped to uncover. One of the producers from Stories of Our Times... Will Rowe has been following the latest developments. Last week, a British doctor was struck off the medical register. Richard Freeman had worked with Team GB and Team Skies, all conquering Olympic and Tour de France teams. The decision leaves not just his career in tatters, but raises big questions around professional cycling in this country. I think people are being deliberately evasive. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but it has always been the way with cycling. Has the sport's eternal problem, doping, come back to haunt it yet again? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Will Rowe. Today, British cycling, a doctor, drugs and a scandal. My name is Matt Lawton. I'm the chief sports correspondent at The Times. I've been a journalist since 1993 and I've spent the last seven or eight years of my career very much focused on corruption, investigations, doping across all sports. As a teenager, Matt Lawton was a talented middle distance runner. Also, while still at school, he did a stint of work experience on the Croydon Advertiser down in South London. At 16, I arrived at this decision. If I didn't make it as a runner, and even if I had made it as a runner, it was my ambition to then go into sports journalism. It's the only job I've ever wanted to do. I think there's probably a failed sportsman somewhere in all of us. (laughs) In terms of cycling, where does that sort of rank for you in the sports world and what does it encapsulate? Look, I'm a big cycling fan and I used to finish a track season as a kid from the age of 17 and then go off riding my bike around Europe. I used to pack a tent and a sleeping bag and I've cycled to the Mediterranean, I've cycled home from Florence. When other people of my age were heading to Ibiza and Magaluf, I was taking my bike and with mates and, and pedalling all over Europe. A lover of all sports, but Matt clearly has a particular passion for cycling. But today's story is not a romantic one. It doesn't follow the contours and the beauty of some of those roads that Matt would have raced along as a teenager without a care in the world. Today's story is not a smooth ride. 
The former chief doctor for Team Sky and British Cycling, Richard Freeman, has been permanently struck off the medical register. A medical practitioner's tribunal has handed down the strongest possible sanction following his role in a doping scandal. Last week, the former doctor at Team GB Cycling, Britain's Olympic outfit and Team Sky, the road racing Tour de France team, was struck off the medical register. Dr Richard Freeman worked for both teams between 2009 and 2015, resigning from British Cycling in October 2017 due to ill health. But who is he? He's been a sports doctor for a long time, but his background prior to um, joining British Cycling and Team Sky was at Bolton Wanderers. He was in football. One of the reasons he got recruited by Team Sky was because when they started, it was very much their mantra that they were going to do it clean. There was an awful lot of history of doping in cycling, professional cycling in particular. Team Sky, a British team, was set up in 2010. As Matt just mentioned, they wanted to distance themselves from those traditional stereotypes of road cycling, a sport that's always been littered with drug scandals. Freeman came from football, where there isn't a great deal of sort of doping history, and had a good reputation. He was close to some of the big-name riders, people like Bradley Wiggins trusted him and worked closely with him at the 2012 Olympics in London and the 2016 Olympics in Rio when British cyclists absolutely cleaned up in terms of medals. He was the main doctor. However, for the past two years, Dr Freeman had been at a medical tribunal facing 22 charges, including one, and this was a big one, lying to anti-doping investigators about the purchase of 30 sachets of testogel or testosterone for an unnamed rider back in May 2011, just 14 months before the Olympic Games in London. But let's just pause a moment as Matt needs to fill us in on something. We should really go back to the Russian doping scandal in athletics. The Russians were exposed as having a state-sponsored doping program in 2015, became the subject of a major WADA investigation. WADA is the World Anti-Doping Agency. The story was broken by ARD, which is a German TV station. They broke this story of extraordinary revelations athletes being extorted for money by the world governing body to cover up positive drugs tests, steps being taken particularly at the Sochi Winter Olympic Games in 2014. So the Russians retaliated, and they retaliated, the way it's been described to me, by filling a big office in Moscow with lots of very clever computer geeks who knew how to hack into computers. And one of the things they managed to do was to hack into the WADA computers. So, the Russians have hacked into the World Anti-Doping Agency's computer systems. There was a day in September 2016, and I remember it so vividly. I was driving back from Glasgow down the M6, and I actually got a call from a colleague saying, my God, have you seen these documents that the Fancy Bears have just published? The Fancy Bears was the name these Russian hackers gave themselves. I said, no, I haven't. I'm driving. They said, well, it contains some medical records belonging to Sir Bradley Wiggins. 
And in case you don't know, in 2012, as part of Team Sky, Sir Bradley Wiggins was the first British rider to win the Tour de France, the most iconic race in cycling. You know, dreaming that one day you would win the Tour, and, but never really, really imagined, you know, at that age thinking, well, what, what chances, you know, kid growing up in central London. The Tour began in 1903 and now is actually a 23-day race over 2,000 miles with just two days off to rest. It tests riders to their physical and mental extremes. Not only did Wiggins, tall and thin at the height of his powers with that distinctive mod look, win the Tour, he is also Britain's most successful Olympian with eight medals, including five golds. You ain't going to get any better than this now, that's it, you know. I mean, to win a home Olympics in your hometown and um, coming off the back of winning the Tour de France. Team Sky have since produced more Tour de France winners, but Wigo, as he's affectionately known, really is the household name that captured Britain's imagination when it came to cycling. Now, Back to his medical records that the fancy bear Russian hackers had dug up. It revealed the fact that before the 2011 Tour de France, before the 2012 Tour de France that he won, and before the 2013 Giro d'Italia, Wiggins had been given an injection of something called triamcinolone, which is a corticosteroid, with the use of a a therapeutic use exemption, a medical certificate. And it's pretty controversial because that's a pretty controversial drug. It has a history of abuse in cycling. At a parliamentary hearing in 2018, it was said Wiggins needed triamcinolone to treat acute hay fever symptoms. The problem with that in response was that a lot of experts voiced their surprise that that would be prescribed because surely you just use the inhalers that are readily available to deal with things like hay fever and rhinitis. There was one expert, respiratory expert, down at the University of Kent in Canterbury who basically said, you know, triamcinolone, you're using a sledgehammer to crack a nut. And it was on the back of that 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 the parliamentary report suggested that Team Sky crossed an ethical line with their use of medical exemptions. Both Team Sky and Wiggins have always denied that they crossed any ethical line. So we've jumped ahead here, but let's rewind back to 2016. And Matt's driving down the M6, hearing about the fancy bears, these Russian hackers, revealing these medical records which would come under scrutiny. That very same day, I got a phone call from a source telling me that there was more to it, telling me that the medical certificate in 2011, the date of that medical certificate presented a problem because there was a package, the jiffy bag package that had been delivered at the end of the Criterium du Dauphiné, which is one of the warm-up races for the tour. And there was a package delivered and, and there was an allegation that an injection took place at the back of the Team Sky bus involving Dr. Freeman and Wiggins, which wouldn't have been covered by that therapeutic use exemption certificate. So, in 2016, Matt, while working at the Daily Mail, breaks this story, the so-called jiffy bag story. 
It has never been identified what was in the package, and I must add, the allegation that an illegal injection took place has never been proven either, and both Wiggins and Dr Freeman have always denied this allegation. But we do know a package was requested by Dr Freeman and sent to the French Alps, and that led to an investigation by the UK Anti-Doping Agency. And it was during that investigation that UK anti-doping investigators discovered that there had also been a delivery in 2011 to the Manchester Velodrome of a banned substance called testosterone. 30 sachets of testogel were delivered. And the UCAD investigator not only discovered the order that Dr. Freeman placed to buy the product, he also discovered an email sent by, I should say, the medical supplier in Oldham saying that it had been sent in error and that it had never been ordered and it had been sent in error to the Manchester Velodrome. And suddenly you had the cover-up. That in turn then led to an investigation by the General Medical Council and a hearing that basically took two years. And during his hearing for the testosterone charges, the charge that he ordered it to the velodrome, what was Dr Freeman's defence? What did he say was the reason behind that? It was an extraordinary defence. The GMC charge was knowing or believing it was to dope a rider. He claimed that he had ordered it not for a rider, it was for a guy called Shane Sutton, who was, at the time, acted as a coach for Bradley Wiggins and worked for Team Sky, but it was also a coach for British Cycling. He claimed it was for Shane to treat him for erectile dysfunction. And that led to the most extraordinary day at the hearing when Shane Sutton was on the stand and being cross-examined by Mary O'Rourke, the QC, acting for Freeman. He denied suffering from erectile dysfunction and suggested that his wife come down and tell them that he didn't suffer from erectile dysfunction. It, it, it was an extraordinary piece of theatre. Freeman was behind a screen. He claimed that he felt intimidated by Sutton. He'd said as part of his defence that he'd been bullied by Sutton. And you had this situation where Sutton was sort of shouting through the screen to Freeman to, to man up, to tell the truth. And eventually Sutton became so angry as, as O'Rourke continued to cross-examine him that he walked out. That's amazing. The thing is, because it's a medical hearing, he wasn't legally obliged to be there. Right. It wasn't like anybody could order him to return. He stormed out and then we all rushed downstairs and the TV crews rushed downstairs and he gave an interview. And what do you make of uh, Dr Freeman sitting behind a screen? Former friend of yours. Yeah, I'm totally disappointed with that. You know, I have no axe to grind with Richard whatsoever. You know, he's a good guy, as I said in, in there, and uh, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it. He gave an interview outside when technically you're not supposed to while giving evidence, but he had decided he wasn't coming back. And he gave the interview and, and off he marched into the night. And ultimately, did the tribunal believe any of this? Surely you'd get Viagra to treat erectile dysfunction. Well, that would be what most of us would assume. It was dismissed. The GMC brought in an expert who said that it wouldn't be clinically appropriate to treat erectile dysfunction with testosterone. But it was also, Freeman had a problem from the start, even before it began, in that he had admitted 
to 18 of the 22 charges, which included lying. And then what you had were medical experts acting for the GMC, even attacking the more scientific aspects of his defence. And obviously the natural suspicion is that this testosterone, it was for one of the cyclists. Yeah, that's the conclusion that they reached, that it was known or believing it was to dope a rider. And the unsatisfactory thing about the whole thing now is is the one thing that wasn't established during two years of this hearing was who the rider might be. Dr Richard Freeman was struck off the medical register by the General Medical Council. He had been working as a GP in Lancashire helping with the COVID-19 vaccination programme. His QC, Mary O'Rourke, says an appeal to the High Court is highly likely. And in a statement, Dr Freeman says he disagreed vehemently with the tribunal's decision. In a moment, Matt explains how cycling came to dominate our sporting world for a time. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So, why did cycling become a headline-grabbing sport in the UK? In many ways, its resurgence comes off the back of one of our lowest sporting moments the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. I was working for the Daily Express as a football writer and I I covered Euro 96 that summer. But while Matt and the rest of the nation were getting excited about football maybe coming home, over in the States, our Olympians were having a dismal time. They got one gold medal, which was Redgrave and Pinson in the rowing. They did very poorly in, in cycling. They got two bronze, 96 As a British team, they fell well short of expectations. After 96, where is this drive to suddenly make us good at cycling? What's behind this? There is a great heritage of cycling in this country, but there'd never been any tour winners. Robert Miller had probably got closest. Robert Miller was a British cyclist in the 1980s and finished fourth on the Tour de France back in 1984, then the best time by any British rider. But back to the modern day, and for Matt, it was pretty much one guy who made British cycling the powerhouse it is now. I think a lot of it was down to Brailsford. That's Sir Dave Brailsford. 
former team director of Team GB and still the current manager of Team Sky, or Ineos Grenadiers, as they're now known. He professionalised it. He had a background in cycling. He had a scientific background as well. He just recruited the right people. 2004, they started to get going. And then by 2008, they were ruling the world. I'm a big believer in progression uh, rather than perfection. It's kind of where the marginal gains philosophy came from. And so he broke down a, you know, everything that you could uh, think of in relation to a cycling performance. And As a person you know, to look at, Brailsford's just an ordinary-looking middle-aged bloke, born in a small village in Derbyshire. He grew up in North Wales. But Sir Dave is anything but ordinary. You go through this job and you meet certain people that you can't help but be impressed by. I'm talking about being in the presence of people like Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho. I would put Brailsford, certainly the way I viewed him then, in that bracket. He would talk about the, the, the sort of attention to detail. Mr Marginal Gains, I guess. Mr Marginal Gains. It's an extraordinary sight when you're at the tour. There is a bus and there are quite literally eight washing machines in the belly of the bus because one of the things they worked out was the potential for illness and disease spreading if you wash people's kit together, for instance. So right. basically every rider has their own washing machine. Now, trust me, they're not standing there putting the powder in and, and, and waiting for the dryer to finish. <laughs> they, have, they have somebody to do that for them. It was all that kind of attention to detail. And, and Brailsford showed himself to be a very astute delegator and very smart around that kind of thing and was impressive to be around. And that team that Brailsford built reached its zenith at London 2012. We all remember Super Saturday... Jessica Ennis and Mo Farah sprinting to gold. But it was our cyclist that really ruled the roost, as Team GB won an amazing 29 gold medals. Cycling was top of the tree, winning 12, eight of which were gold. It was a long way from Atlanta 96. But were we really watching history? I think the 2012 games, at one stage it was described as the cleanest games in history but specifically about the cycling success story, I'm afraid that the Richard Freeman situation does cast a shadow over that because at the end of the day, in 2011, little more than a year before those Olympics, their doctor was ordering a banned substance. He was ordering a banned substance to the Manchester Velodrome, which was the joint headquarters of both Team Sky and British Cycling, where all the Olympic cyclists trained. He was ordering that banned substance. He then lied about ordering it to staff and he then tries to orchestrate this cover-up. He then tries to cover his tracks. That was May 2011. 14 months later, it's the Olympic Games. What we also know about 2011 now is that they started to use the therapeutic use exemptions to give Bradley Wiggins triamcinolone. And we also know that in June 2011, there was the jiffy bag. So I'm afraid when you put all those elements together, it does leave a stain. Following Dr. Richard Freeman being struck off the medical register last week, there's been little condemnation from former riders. It is maybe disappointing, 
but it's not surprising. Why? Well, so far, one name who is synonymous with the sport that we haven't mentioned is Lance Armstrong. In many ways, to get an understanding of cycling's eternal problem, that everything is always shrouded by this doubt and suspicion of doping, it's probably easiest understood through his story. We could probably make a whole series about Lance Armstrong, but to strip it right back, in 1999, after surviving cancer, Armstrong won his first Tour de France. The American would then win six more titles all in a row, giving him seven on the bounce and making him the biggest name the sport has ever seen and at the time the most successful. But late in 2012, after years of suspicion and accusations, that fairy tale ended. The US anti-doping agency USADA says overwhelming evidence shows that Lance Armstrong was involved in what it calls the biggest drugs conspiracy in sporting history. USADA's published its long-awaited report on why it banned Armstrong for life and stripped him of his Tour de France titles. He doesn't appeal, but continues to deny it. says he's unaffected and hanging with his family despite being accused of running the most professional drugs programme cycling has ever seen. But then, in early 2013... He admits all to Oprah Winfrey. So let's start with the questions that people around the world have been waiting for you to answer. And for now, I'd just like a yes or no. Okay. Okay. Did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Yes or no? Was one of those banned substances EPO? Yes. Now... Matt ended up going out to meet Armstrong following that Oprah interview. There's this core group of people that needed to be addressed personally. In my mind, it's a small group of people. Some wanted that, some didn't. This is an example of that. What was it like meeting Lance? He's almost like a pantomime villain when it comes to cycling. I have only known him since his fall. From a journalistic point of view... He's fascinating. He describes himself as Voldemort. I always remember that in one interview, that he was Voldemort, the guy that cannot be mentioned, this terrible stain on the sport. But I've been drawn towards him over the years because he is so interesting and because the story is, it's one of the stories of our time. One of the great scandals and this extraordinary figure. There's another group of people that are cycling fans, sports fans that feel awfully betrayed. That is going to take time. Did Armstrong tell you why he doped? Did he give you a sense of why cyclists do this? Because it is the eternal problem for the sport. It casts a shadow over it. Suspicion all the time. I think essentially he reached that crossroads that a lot of athletes reach. That the only way to succeed, they conclude, is if you can't beat them, join them sort of attitude. There was a realisation that there was a new drug that was being Mm. used called EPO, that was just turning some of these guys into superhumans. He was getting his backside kicked and it was annoying him. In his brain, it was either get with it, get on the gear or go home. The real point is that the sport was on life support. When Matt first met Armstrong, he stumbled across a huge scoop. Armstrong told him that in 1999, Hein Verbruggen, the former president of the UCI, the world governing body for cycling, 
helped him with a cover-up. And so we just we backdated the prescription. Armstrong had failed a drug test, and here, the most powerful man in the sport, Hein Verbruggen, encouraged him to produce a backdated prescription to explain it all away, and thereby not further tarnish cycling's already poor image. I think in that moment they created a monster. He felt untouchable. He would bully anyone that dared break that omerta. He would drive people out of the sport. And the omerta is that code of silence within the sport that cycling has. Exactly, exactly. What is that omerta? Can you explain that, Matt? How does it work? It's basically an unwritten agreement that you don't talk about it. You don't talk about doping. You don't talk publicly about it. You don't tell tales. And is that what you think you're seeing now again with Dr. Freeman? Well, I do think there are people that know more than they're letting on at the moment. And I do think Richard Freeman probably knows more than he's letting on at the moment. That is frustrating. I think people are being deliberately evasive. There's a lot of unanswered questions, but it has always been the way with cycling. What was fascinating about the hearing, particularly during Freeman's evidence, after that first season on the road, Bradley Wiggins, he's their principal rider in 2010, and he comes 21st, and they get their backsides kicked. And there was a change. There was a change in culture. There were demands from the riders to start bringing cycling doctors. Remember, Dr Richard Freeman came from a footballing background. They wanted cycling doctors that would look at things like intravenous recovery, which was always quite controversial. By 2011, needles had been banned in cycling. But they were talking about that. They were talking about a, a, a shift. Trouble was, it was when they did that and they started bringing in cycling doctors with cycling pass that the whole thing started to unravel a bit because one of the people they employed was a guy called Gert Linders. Gert Linders was a Belgian doctor. He had previously been involved in a doping programme at another cycling team. In 2012, after a couple of freelance contracts with Team Sky, Linders was let go. There's no suggestion Linders did anything wrong at Sky, and they acted decisively. Later, they would say it was a mistake to have employed him in the first place. But reputationally, for a team who wanted to be whiter than white, they suddenly had egg on their face. And that led in October 2012 to this almost sort of night of the long knives at Sky where every single member of staff was interviewed and asked if they had any links to doping. Those who admitted to any kind of historic doping practices were fired. So that was the first scandal that really hit Sky was back in 2012. Obviously, we didn't know about the testosterone delivery in 2011. And that remains an unanswered question. Why didn't we know about it? Why weren't UCAD informed? And if they were informed, why was Freeman not sanctioned 10 years ago? There could have been a much bigger scandal back in 2011, 2012, if this testosterone package had led to an anti-doping investigation then. But for Team Sky, this kind of night of the long knives moment wasn't the end of their links with cycling's murky past. Three years later, in 2015, Matt uncovered something. I'd been alerted to the fact by a source that they employed a guy called Peter Verbacon. And Peter Verbacon was Team Sky's service manager, looking after the bikes from an outpost in Belgium. He was a former cyclist who had previously worked with none other than... Lance Armstrong. I was thinking, this is 
this is surprising. You would employ somebody that had worked with Armstrong because this, remember, is 2015. So the whole Armstrong scandal was played out. He's been stripped of his seven titles. He's Voldemort. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's Voldemort by this point. So during a rest day on the Tour de France back in 2015, Matt wants to find out more. We had a chance to speak to Brailsford. It was a group, small group of journalists, British journalists. And I said, Dave, I've got to ask you, Peter Verbacon used to work for US Postal. More than that, he used to work for Lance Armstrong as his soigneur. Why do you employ him? And he was slightly taken aback and he, he didn't have an answer. And he asked me for 24 hours to consider a response. 24 hours came and went. Matt was given the cold shoulder. Another day passes, nothing. So he gets on the phone to Team Sky's press team. I say, right, listen, I asked this question two days ago. I haven't had a response. What is the response? Can you explain why Peter Verbacon works for Team Sky? They tell Matt he's overstating Verbacon's involvement with Armstrong back in the late 90s. So Matt calls a source. I rang somebody, not Armstrong, and I said, how involved was Peter Verbacon at US Postal and how involved was he with Armstrong? Oh, he was, he was one of those main guys. He, you know, there was one particular year, he, he, you know, every race, you know, so on. Team Sky then conceded that, yes, Verbacon had been involved with Armstrong. And Matt ran the story that someone with very close links to Armstrong was now working with Team Sky. Brailsford was not a happy man. It was my first sort of experience of dealing with them and finding them mm. quite evasive, which was very much the experience that I... I found with them when I then did the Jiffy Bag story. And just to close off that story, Peter Verbacon still works for what is now Ineos Grenadiers. He does. Which is Team Sky, essentially. He does. Still does the same job. I'm not suggesting that he's doing anything wrong when he's he's looking after all their equipment. And it must be stated, there is no suggestion Peter Verbacon was ever linked to a doping programme by the US Anti-Doping Agency. So Dave Brailsford didn't attend any of the Dr. Richard Freeman hearings. Were you surprised by that? No, not in the slightest. He wasn't called. He wasn't called as a witness. I'm surprised by that. I think there were lots of people they could have called. There were very few occasions when anyone from Sky was there. British Cycling often had a member of their legal team there or a member of their comms team. But I'd actually say probably... I was probably there more than any, anyone else. <laughs> it's really been a story that you've followed. This happened on Brailsford's watch. He does have questions to answer about it. There is a, a silence around it, which seems odd now that Dr. Freeman has been struck off. He does have questions because the thing about the Freeman episode, if you go back to 2010, through the controversies that they've endured, from the jiffy bag to the culling of staff... What they've never had is something that's been shown to have happened on their watch, if you like. It's always been a very good riposte to people like me. Well, we've never had an ADRV on our watch, an anti-doping rule violation. And given that Freeman has admitted already to one of the two anti-doping rule violation charges, the fact of the matter is, even now, we have a situation where a tribunal has found him guilty of purchasing a doping product, knowing or believing it was to dope a rider, and he's been struck off. It's mm. pretty serious stuff. 
and it reflects very badly on them. And I guess the natural question from that is, is Dr. Richard Freeman just a, a bad apple or is there something wider going on here? Well, he's the only one in the dock, as it were, but I think everyone agrees that the idea that Richard Freeman did this on his own is hard to believe. Whether it was a rider asking him, whether it was a member of staff of either British Cycling or Team Sky asking him, you have to assume that he has responded to a request. I think a lot of people feel that he is the full guy and they're not entirely sure why he isn't giving anything else away because he's kind of lost everything as things stand. He's 61 years old. He is no longer allowed to practice as a doctor. His career is in tatters. I don't quite know where he goes from here. Ineos Grenadiers, formerly Team Sky, released a statement since the tribunal. They say they don't believe any athlete ever used testigil or any other performance-enhancing substance and no evidence has been provided that this happened. I asked them if Sir Dave Brailsford had any comment. I got no response on this. I put some questions to Sir Bradley Wiggins and was directed to his podcast. There needs to be more of an explanation as to who were they for then? What the bloody hell were they for? I don't think for one minute they were for any rider at all. I don't think that wasn't the type of system that was run. That wasn't the remit. It just isn't. Of course, that leaves this cloud over it. I understand that because it makes a bloody good story as well. I don't think anyone was, A, in that game of doing like that or stupid enough because, you know, you get caught the amount of times you've been tested. Meanwhile, British Cycling say the General Medical Council's finding that the 2011 delivery of testosterone was intended for the illegal enhancements of a rider's performance is extremely disturbing. Has your faith in cycling been tested and is it still there? Do you still believe in the sport? (sighs) No, I've never believed in the sport. History demands that you approach professional road cycling, certainly, as a journalist with a huge amount of cynicism. I think I believe in some of the things I see on the Olympic track. But no, no, when I'm watching professional cycling, no. I I love writing about it. I love covering it. I would like to believe that some of the people that have won the Tour have done it clean. Does it sadden you somewhat that since 2010 we've seen a great boom in British cycling... And much of that has been driven by Team GB, Team Sky, people like Bradley Wiggins. And it's not a bad thing to have, you know, people like yourself and myself getting out on our bikes, more people commuting on their bikes. But has that, in a way, been based on a kind of falsehood? No. Uh, I I think you can separate the two. One is professional sport, one is amateur sport, or even just a way of commuting or travelling around. I love riding my bike. My teenage years, I was riding my bike all over Europe. And I think it is fantastic. That is the positive aspect of the Team Sky story. There are still positive aspects to the British cycling success story. I really do believe that some of those cyclists have done it clean i would say in on the olympic side i would hope that the majority have if not all of them look money success corrupts every sport 
and there is big money in cycling. The top road cyclists are multi-millionaires. The contracts are for many millions of pounds a year. Money corrupts. We're seeing the same thing in road running. The big money in athletics is in marathons. We are getting dozens of positive tests in East Africa, in other parts of the road running community. People cheat to win the big money, to earn the success. It's human nature. You just have to accept it. You just have to accept that and you have to recognize it. And as a journalist, you have to try and uncover it. It doesn't suit everybody's agenda. It doesn't suit many of the journalists uh, who are covering it. But I'm afraid I, I ask the questions and I will keep asking the questions. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Will Rowe, and my guest, Matt Lawton, The Times' chief sports correspondent. You can read more of Matt's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. This episode was produced by me, Will Rowe, and the executive producer is Bobby Damon. Sound designed by Carla Patella. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.